like a midget at a urinal, I was going to have to stay on my toes. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy weekend to you. I'm Gary Manson. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour of a Saturday. And that means we have another opportunity to work with our pal, the tall guy himself, Nathan Miller. Nathan, how are you doing today, Good sir? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And after hearing that drop into the show, it makes me want to make some comments on the other side of the urinal, being <laughs> a tall person and having to avoid the small one at all costs. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that one does not go. exist. If I know. I mean, I'm tall enough and you're taller than me. You know, this is, I mean, when that gets to be rather a, as it were, an occupational hazard when you go into the men's room, <laughs> these are the kinds of things we think about. <laughs> like a midget in a urinal. Let me stay on my toes. The Naked Gun. Those were, those were fun movies. Yeah, yeah, they were. With Leslie Nielsen, like him. Yes, indeed. How is the weather, by the way, Nathan? Because I've been watching the Weather Channel that we do every day. Rain and, and snow. Oh, man, I thought that with El Nino, it was going to be less of a feature this winter for the Pacific Northwest. But no, you're getting plenty of snow, it seems. Only in the upper foothills and mountains areas and oh. north of Everett and like the Whatcom County, Skagit County areas. They're getting hit hard with snow. One of my friends, he lives up in Bellingham, and I think they got like nine inches of snow. But down here, it's just been El Nino rain and getting warm, too. Not like warm, warm, but warmer than it was. So like 50 degree temperatures and stuff like that. And the East Coast, well, let's just not even discuss that. Yeah, that will get you your parkas. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, you know, I, I have to say I really feel for these football players. You know, I mean, oh, that game yeah. in Kansas City, yeah, that was unbelievable. Crazy cold. Yes. Crazy cold. Yeah. And it's not going to be that cold, but in uh, Baltimore today, they're going to have some very chilly temperatures to deal with as well as playoff season is underway. So we'll see how all of that turns out. All right. Today we are going to have, it could be paranormal potpourri. It can be pop culture. Potpourri? Yes. That has a stink to it. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you who doesn't, and that's Joey Medea. We're doing metaphysical Q&A. We're going to throw questions at him that he does not know about in advance. And as a matter of fact, you know, I I shared something on Facebook about this being, uh, that Joey had put out actually about this being his... 12th visit to our show. Wow, a dozen times. Nobody it discussed out, it with the historian of the uh, of the Manson Mitchell show. It turns out it's a baker's dozen. It, today is number 13. What do you know? Ooh. ooh how portentous. Ooh. 13th visit. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, maybe that's entirely in keeping. You give him his mad props today. Glad to do it. Joey Medea is a novelist, screenwriter, playwright, actor, historical educator, storyteller, and director. He has written narratives and designed the puzzles for escape rooms in North Carolina, Scotland, and the Mothman Museum in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. He is the author of nearly 30 plays, including a Mothman musical. 
He is a veteran paranormal researcher, experiencer, lecturer, and podcaster. I have been meaning to ask him if he's also a notary public there, so I'll have to check in with them about that. Incredibly versatile and welcome anytime on Manson Mitchell. Joey Medea, welcome once again, my friend. Thank you. I will put a stamp on anything you guys want. <laughs> Let's Whether just leave it at that. <laughs> right. Let's leave it at that. Uh, well, we are happy to have you today. And, and as I said, normally we have a very specific topic that we talk to you about. We've talked to you about serial killers. We've talked to you about pirates. We've talked to you about, oh, any number of things over the dozen or so uh, interviews that we've had. But today we said, let's just have a free for all. Let's just yeah. ask him whatever we want. And you willingly said, all right, throw it at me. So you have no idea what we're going to ask you, but no. you're going to be ready with those answers. I will. Yeah, All I'll right. answer them the best and honestly as I can. Okay. I have a question. This is just one of those easy introductions. Okay, you be easy and then like, I'm going to get tough. I like, okay, that sounds <laughs> good. Suzanne's the always tough. Suzanne <laughs> it's always so tough on me. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, where did you grow up in your formative years? I'm, I'm talking about preteens through your teenage years, your heavy TV watching years, looking forward to this or that program. Where was That's that true. for you? That's terrific because that's seminal to to what I do as a storyteller. I was actually born at the on the U.S. naval base in Rota, Spain. So nothing about me is uncomplicated. So I actually have four birth certificates, um, and uh, I have no memories of that. When I was two years old, my dad transferred to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, and that's where I met my brother. Uh, we're 18 months apart, and then we moved to Jersey. So in those formative years, I was a Jersey kid. I've lived all over Jersey, but the big formative years was I was a Dungeon and Dragons player on the Jersey Shore in the 1980s. <laughs> and that I, I, I would put that up against anybody else's childhood experience. <laughs> and as part of that... And I did have a reason for asking this. That's good material to know about you, Joey. I am curious to know where you grew up now. You know, in New Jersey, you would have access to the New York market. Yes. And then Jersey besides, of course. When it came to particularly Saturday night, maybe Friday nights, but Saturday nights were the big nights for the horror movies. Yeah. And, you know, now we have the very syndicated Sven and we will watch all or some of his program each week. It's just fun. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, when you were growing up, was there a local horror host? And we are talking about the New York market, after all, who was famous for bringing these classic horror pictures with the comedy involved? Or was it was it also the time during the 80s when you would have been watching Elvira? We would have been watching Elvira for sure. Uh, the big local guys were, were, uh, Uncle Floyd was New Jersey local cable. He was a crazy guy, not more variety than, um, but Saturday nights were a ritual of six o'clock Star Trek. Uh, and then you would watch Chiller Theater, right? With the hand coming out of the ground. Chiller. Yes. And I <laughs> don't remember if Chiller had a host or not. 
I don't think that I think they just had a voiceover, guys. I recall. I don't yeah. remember a host. I do remember that dun 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 eerie music they had. And it seemed yeah. like there was a burning candle involved as well. Oh, yeah. But chiller was something that we had out in LA because I grew up in Orange County, California. There's so chiller theater. That's how I got to watch Godzilla about at least 13 times as a child and a few times subsequently, but they had Godzilla on a lot of the time. And it would just be this cycle they would go through. And it was a lot of fun. You could watch Chiller and my parents were okay with that. Thank goodness, you know, because then I'd talk about it with the guys at school. Right. That was the ritual with my dad. Like I said, I grew up on a steady diet of, uh, Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson and those guys as far as music. And then uh, TV was really Star Trek um, and Outer Limits and Twilight Zone and all that kind of stuff, along with Chiller. So the Vincent Price movies and oh, just so many movies that I've come to love. Um, and then in film, yeah, it was that classic stuff. So I was raised on that diet. Uh, and my parents always had an extensive uh, library down in the basement. So I was pulling Sybil Leak's Book of Curses and uh, Mr. Goodbar and things that an 11, 12-year-old shouldn't be reading. I mean, I remember reading The Stand when I was 12 years old uh, at my aunt's house. So that was really the diet. It was this very classic sort of 60s, 70s programming musically and books and yeah. And speaking of, the, I saw it in the theaters back in, oh, was it 1977, 1978, maybe? Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Yeah. That's one of those movies. I'm not saying it wasn't well made. I'm saying I'm sorry that I saw it. I mean, yeah. the climax of that movie, whoa, whoa, that, that was just, ooh, that was yeah. a bit much for me. Yeah, well, I there thought- was a whole... There was a whole ilk of that at the time, and I think the country was starting to struggle sort of with the rise of the serial killer, and I know we're not doing those kinds of things, but there was the girl on the Volkswagen floor. I mean, that scared the heck out of me. You remember that that book? I don't know if there was ever a film. But the girl we, on the Volkswagen floor? Yeah, it was called The Girl on the Volkswagen Floor. I wonder if any of your, your listeners know it, but I remember the cover of the mass market paperback of this arm sort of like coming out of this Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, and we had a Volkswagen Beetle, and it was a very, you know, way before the age of like carjacking and things. So, yeah, my diet, <laughs> my my diet was pretty dark. I guess. I guess. <laughs> I never saw that, but I guess the arm was optional. <laughs> but yeah, but, well, it made an impression. Oh, because you knew she was there, but you knew nothing about her. I mean, it's kind of brilliant. It's a brilliant invitation to enter the world of the story. But well, okay. So remember, you guys asked me to do this. Just remember. <laughs> <laughs> and all of this is by way of just asking you, with your upbringing and your native interest as it developed, it seems like you just branched out in different directions. But there's a common thread of the mysterious of the strange running through so much of your work that not only entices you, but your readers and your audience as well. I I hope so. Um, and thank you for that. I was raised Catholic. So when I do like, when I'm a guest on paranormal shows, they always say, well, when, what was your interest in the paranormal? And I'm like, I grew up Catholic. Like it's mystic. It's transmogrification. It's hagiography. It's, 
you know, St. Teresa, right? And the wound smell of roses and you kind of, at, at everything else seem, seemed less heavy and less dark than those ideas. And I grew up at a time in the Catholic Church where you had these Italian and Irish priests talking fire and brimstone and damnation. And you're just a little kid. And my dad was a military guy and we were Sicilian anyway. So, so you kind of grew up. You grew up in that. So everything else felt safe to me. Like I could be 11 years old and read something like The Girl on the Volkswagen Floor because I I knew that the world was complex and I knew that there was light and dark and good and evil. Um, and, and I think that's why. And then why? Outbridge, why do I ha why do I have so many hyphens? Right. So now they talk about people who are hyphens, actor, writer, director, blah, blah. Um, because I love story. I think story is crucial. And there are many, many ways to tell a story. And I want to explore every single one of them before I go. Suzanne, I want to leave a space here for you to ask a question. Well, I did have questions, but now I think I've forgotten most of them. Oh, no. I, I, I just, I was uh, curious about um, there being that attraction, not just to the mysterious, but to the macabre, because mm -hmm. as, as you're describing it, you know, initially I'm thinking, oh, that's a boy thing. Um, you were exposed to the horror uh, genre and things like that early on. I was not. I had one girlfriend who liked the the old horror movies, the Frankenstein's and the Dracula's and all that. And so once in a in a great while, when we had a sleepover at her place, um, she would put on these movies late at night and I would put the covers over my head. I was scared. I didn't want to see it. I was scared. The music scared me. Everything scared me. And I didn't want to look at it. But it may have been more than just that. It may have been that early exposure that you had or your religious upbringing that I didn't have. And, mm -hmm. and so to me, that was that was really horrifying. I mean, those those things could really exist. Frankenstein could really exist, or Dracula. And oh, no. and I got I got really deep down scared when I was a little kid. Is that a girl thing, or was that my upbringing? You know, well, nature nurture. I don't know. Yeah, no, I can say this. Um, I knew plenty of girls that I went to middle school and high school with that were way braver than me. So watching a chiller movie with my dad on Saturday night. Now my mom rejects almost all things horror she'll she'll read some books that are like psychological thrillers things like that but as far as like horror movies she doesn't do it my sister won't even talk about them she rejects them absolutely out of hand and i don't really? actually know my brother's position on it but for me i don't like slasher films i don't like unnecessary violence i don't do this torture stuff that people i, I don't right right I just don't do that kind of thing. Right. But evil, I do believe, and I guess this is informed by some of the things I saw as a kid, kind of provocative, I'll leave it at that, and uh, my Catholic upbringing is that evil exists in the world, and it exists in many, many forms. So in my novel, Minor Confessions of an, Often, of an Angel Falling Upward, he talks about it could be the mother who with the pie cooling on the windowsill who then tortures her kids like we don't know what's going on 
behind the windows and doors that we pass in our cars and on our bicycles and all. That always fascinated me. And I think that we, I think that we're better and we can better navigate life when we are aware that evil exists. Just, you just know, aware. It's funny that you should say that because as a small child, I was very afraid of, of whatever could be evil. And, and generally, uh, generally speaking, evil is like anything you don't understand or you don't know. I mean, mm. if, if you don't know it, it, you can be afraid of it. Yes. And uh, we had a, a developmentally disabled boy who never went to school uh, a block away. And everybody was afraid of him. Yes. You know, he, he didn't talk much. He, he got dressed. He was outside. He, he just kind of hung around, never played with anybody. But, you know, I always wondered about, I didn't understand it. And so it looked evil to me. As I, as I matured into my 30s, 40s, I, I really dismissed evil as not existing. Mm -hmm. That was something that was actually just made up and created by whoever needed to create that to keep people in line. And so I rejected the idea of evil. And now that I'm even older still, I've I've kind of gone back and accepted that there is such a thing as evil in the world. And we talked to a, a medium one time and, and asked her about it. And she said, when I go into my space for mediumship, when I look to the right, I see all light. When I look to the left, I see all dark. And she said, I don't look to the left because I know that's where the evil was. And I went, doggone it, there really is evil. Yeah. It surprised me. It surprised me. Do you guys know that the word sinister comes from the Latin sinistre, which means left? No. Uh, Yeah, it means left. So that's amazing that she said that. I also want to take a couple of steps back. This is a fascinating conversation. Thank you for allowing me to have it with you on there. Um, there's a distinction between evil and other. And I think that's why people yes. also need to be aware, right? So that yes. boy that didn't go to school. Now, right. I I was just born curious, okay? When I, when I had my kidney stones and I had all kinds of procedures, my wonder uh, rendered the anesthesia useless. Because I didn't want to sleep when I could see. Now I'm not a I'm not all into pain and stuff like that. Um, but my curiosity, like, oh, they're gonna go like go inside and look at my body, or they're gonna do something. Why would I want to miss out on that? Uh, it's my body, so it's kind of kind of way. But so those that were other and misperceived, those who had disabilities, there was a deaf girl that I was fascinated with. And I remember going down the avenue in North Jersey, as we used to call it, to the shoe store back in the day when your family took you for custom-made shoes, no matter your your economic. And uh, I remember there was a little boy there and he had a mental disability. And I was maybe all of maybe six, seven, I didn't even know. And he came up to me and, and Gary, you remember, I, I know this is sexist to do this and ask you, but you remember like the Jeep sets that used to come with the little green army soldiers and they oh, sure. come with like a Jeep. Well, the wheel had snapped off and that was all molded plastic. 
And this little boy came up to me while I was waiting in Mr. Sorelli's shoe store and said, can you fix this for me? And I wasn't able to. I was a seven-year-old kid and you can't fix molded plastic. And he got all upset and he cried. And I remember going home that night. Uh, we were, we had borrowed a van. I, I don't know why, but I remember sitting in the back of this van and bursting into tears because I couldn't help this boy. And also I couldn't make him understand why I couldn't help him. So it was this crazy multi-level thing. So, so what we often label the other has always fascinated me too. Um, and making that distinction, uh, because without going into specifics, right? A lot of what's going on in the world, if not all of it, is this perception of other. There's us and there's them. There's those guys and there's those guys, right? Guys one, guys two. And I send my money to guy one because other two is an is another to me and i think that 9 11 could have been a lot different remember the guys like bill moore and this professor at university of wisconsin who were 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 um ostracized because they said hey why don't we ask what makes people fly airplanes into buildings and you're like oh you can't do that because it's got to be other with a capital o um, so those are really my driving interests and fascinations um, as a person, as a storyteller, as a teacher. Well, a lot that of silence. Leads, well, that leads me to ask you, because I was, I was going to do this after the break, but it just seems to fit now. There, now, from as many angles as you approach this subject matter, I'm very curious to know if you have undergone training, perhaps you're doing so now, maybe you wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole, but it's like, as it were, crossing the Rubicon to be interested in uh, reading all of Stephen King's novels, to watching all the classic horror movies and the modern stuff as well, on the one hand, and then becoming a practitioner, first a student, a trainee, being a mentee, and then practicing what many people regard as psychic rubbish, other people call metaphysical work. But have you ever felt the need to cross that Rubicon into practicing the psychic arts? So oh. Knowing that some people will say, well, those are the dark arts, and other people will say it will open up a whole new universe to you, and you can actually benefit humanity with what you learn and practice. There's a choice to be made there. Oh, there absolutely is. So uh, I believe Tanya is listening to the show today, my wife, and and she and a lot of other people, I've been on people's shows or people have been on my shows and I get these messages and they go, you're a deeply intuitive person, like you're a psychic. Like, And uh, Gary, that's one place where I have it and I don't know if it's because, you know, Tanya and I have been together 26 years and I, other than being a Catholic, it wasn't to 2009 when we had our strange missing time abduction experience that I really got interested in that manifestation of what we're talking about, the paranormal, the supernatural, the occult. Um, so I have, I mean, we had a sweat lodge on our property, a Lakota sweat lodge built in the proper way uh, for two years when we were in West Virginia. I So I underwent a lot of shamanic studies um, and I have studied with numerous, numerous practitioners and I live, 
you know, you've had her on your show. I live with a very talented one. So there has been a certain amount of training. Um, I'm always reading and reviewing books and having guests for my show who channel higher spirits who, oh, I had Barbara DeLong on uh, my show just Thursday night with her cosmic deck of initiation. So using tarot, throwing the bones, reading runes, all that. Um, have I ever gone through a formal, formal training program? No, which is probably pretty interesting because I like a certain amount of the mystery. And and that's not one of my hyphens is as a as a psychic practitioner or a medium. Um, my medium is storytelling. A Very good, good. A good yeah. way to deal with these yeah. subjects and entice people's imaginations to yes. get them thinking and to do it. And in a way, it seems to me it's a safe way to do it because, you know, it, if you watch a Stephen King movie, and I get most of my Stephen King material not through his novels, I think I've read maybe two, and but I've seen several of his movies, and I feel like, okay, I get where he's going with this, and there are et eternal themes of good and evil. There are the nuances of human personality, the healthy personality and the disturbed personality and all the manifestations of each. And I can get that through the movies. But if I am to practice something that is an ancient discipline, I feel like, wow, I'm really putting myself out there in order to know enough that I can talk to somebody in real world terms about their own life. Mm -hmm. Now we're not talking about drama or horror anymore. We're talking about real life circumstances, people and their daily lives. Right. And so as a so so here's where I have been formally trained by our mutual friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley for 12 years as a paranormal field investigator. So as an investigator, I have been formally trained. I have studied that in depth because when you go into someone's home and they are suffering from the unknown, from the perception of the other, at times from a perception of evil, you better know what the heck you're doing. I mean, I remember during the lockdown, Tanya and I were helping some people who heard us on Coast to Coast AM. So... uh and and this guy said, look, my family's in crisis and we got this land and uh, it's inhabited by these by these native spirits. And they're very angry. And we so we said, OK, well, we'll take this on. And Tanya has a very special uh, gift where she can look at a photograph and she can see what is going on on that piece of property or in that building or in that house or through that window, no matter when that photograph was taken. And it's been rigorously tested on numerous occasions. It's it's mind blowing. I don't know. Do you guys know anybody who has that that gift, that ability? Not as you've described it. Yeah, it's it's so so we we that's how we started. We said, look, just send us some photos of the property and don't tell us don't tell us any details. And boy, Tanya just nailed it. He said, could we talk to you? And so we had a series of conversations with him. And his wife was very vulnerable. She was psychically open. And she was drawing the brunt of it. Yet she was so afraid of it, Suzanne. 
you know, and perceiving it as evil and, oh, I was raised Christian, so there's Saul and the Witch of Endor and, you know, I'm going to go to hell. So so she would keep canceling sessions with Tanya so Tanya could help her to manage it, close it down if she wanted. But at one point he says, my wife's home, I work nights. Um, one of the things that really gets me upset about dark entities, uh, not necessarily evil, but dark entities, is that they are opportunists and they are bullies. So women will be targeted, which is strange, Suzanne, because women sort of, yes, a lot of women like really hold evil and horror at arm's length, yet they are often the targets of these entities. So she hears a scream. She goes up into the bedroom and there's their two-year-old son and he has a bright red handprint on his face. Wow. And I muted the Zoom and I looked at Tanya and we had been doing this for over a decade, doing this work. And I said, what the hell are we doing? What have we gotten ourselves into? Um, but but what we relied on that training and and there was a very good outcome for this family. I mean, Tanya was able to communicate with some of the spirits. We were able to profess remedies because of our knowledge of things like sweat lodge ceremony, um, leaving offerings, tobacco, so on and so forth, uh, being custodians of land. I was very insistent on that when we lived in the holler. We had three and a half acres. And I kind of said to the universe, we are custodians. We are not owners. So please help us. Please help us. Because uh, we lived in the middle of nowhere, raising three little kids. That's Sicilian from the Jersey Shore. <laughs> like it was, it was hubris. So I needed that help. So, um, so Gary, now that I think of it, not the psychic mediumship, but the but the paranormal investigator. Oh yes, rigorous, rigorous training there. As I would expect, because you're a rigorous thinker, you are a very diligent person, as I know. Joey Medea of my acquaintance. When it comes to looking at a photograph and being able to read the history with astonishing accuracy, to that extent, Suzanne and I are friends with Carl Petrie. So we yes. have a mutual friend. Now we with do. Carl, he can look at a photograph of an old building and having no prior experience, no other investigative background, is he can go into that building or look at a photograph of it and tell you things that other people can verify. And Carl has no objective knowledge of it, but he reads it with astonishing accuracy. So yeah. there is that. Yeah, there is that. And I've read both of Carl's books. And of course, we have mutual, you know, speaking of Rosemary, her husband, Joe, we're all intimately connected. Yeah. And Carl will spontaneously be taken to another time and dimension. Uh, Carl is extra absolutely extraordinary, and that's, you know, I have nothing but love and respect for Tanya, but Carl is a, a extremely unique individual and humble, which is what I prefer in my people with extraordinary gifts, is humility. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We are going to take a break. We'll be gone a couple of minutes. Stick around because there's so much more to discuss with Joey Medea, and we'll find out what that is. As soon as we come back, we are Manson Mitchell, and we thank you for joining us today. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family, 
and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome Alicia Michelle, astrologer, who looks ahead into 2024 for how we may be affected by upcoming planetary positions. On Saturday, Nicole Strickland and Karen Anderson talk about the eternal bonds between humans and pets. They are with us for a while, yet remain with us forever. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our special guest this hour, Joey Medea, his 13th visit, a baker's dozen. And we want to make sure that we let people know, because you are an author, what kind of books you've written. Maybe there's something on pirates. Who knows? <laughs> that was Any, well done. <laughs> anything, about, <laughs> so, anything about Mothman. Anyway, anything that you would like to share with our listeners so that they can connect with you and learn more about you, Joey. Yeah. So I'm uh so so if you want to connect with me and really see what I'm up to, and, and this always makes it easy, which hosts appreciate, I'm on every um social media platform as Joey Medea. So it's easy to find Joey Medea or Joey Medea writer. I have written like I think 14 books now and there's one coming out in February and there's one coming out in March. Um but yes, I've written a pirate series. I'm very into historical education. Um I've written a couple of horror novels. Uh I have a musical going up in California uh this year. That's uh, I actually wrote a novel based on one of my musicals. Um, but yeah, so you can find me on all the media and all my books are on Amazon. And uh, my second fantasy novel is coming out next month. Uh, it took me 14 years to write the second book after my first fantasy novel. Um, and then I have a book on the art and craft of storytelling coming out mm. uh, from Dimension Fold Publishing in March. That's been a 12-year journey that book so i'll bet i'll yeah. bet there's a there's a very much of an art to to storytelling mm. and um and it's something that gary and i appreciate greatly especially as interviewers 
people who come on and tell good stories really captivate our listeners because all they have is the audio. You know, we're we're right. not on television, we're not doing the video, but good storytelling is always very much appreciated. One of the things that um, Gary and I were curious about, and I made a note about this morning, you had mentioned very briefly that there was some lost time between you and Tanya that you experienced. And Gary and I were just among ourselves, the, the two of us saying, I wonder how that would shift Joey's consciousness to have that. Here you are dealing in history and mystery is what I wrote down, because yeah. as you you just pointed out, you know, you like historical novels. You, you look at things, you, when you present something, you've got some facts behind it with your research and you make the story interesting. But how does that change you personally when all of a sudden you've got missing time? And maybe if you want to tell the short version of that story as well. Yeah, I think I've gotten pretty good at the short version now. So in 2009, prior to that, after meeting Tanya, there were ghosts and spirits in our life, you know, balls that would roll down hallways. When our daughter Jolie was born, she's a very gifted uh, psychic. Um, and she sort of ramped those things up. And anytime that Rosemary Ellen Guiley spent any time with Tanya, she'd say, you're just a psychic battery. So every place is haunted is what Tanya and Rosemary agreed on. But Tanya was the flashlight that would light up that dark corner and, and show that thing. So uh, real briefly, we liked the movie Mothman Prophecies. I liked it as a filmmaker and a storyteller. I thought the name was absurd that you would ever call any kind of creature a Mothman. Uh, and then we read the book. I was like, holy mackerel, this is based on a true story. What? And so we read John Keel's book. And when we moved to West Virginia, I mentioned the holler and the sweat lodge at all. Tanya called me one day in 2009 and said, look, we're like two and a half hours from the Mothman Museum. And I said, and forgive me, anyone at the Mothman Museum, because you know we have a beautiful relationship. Um, I said, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to waste a weekend going to something called the Mothman Museum? It's absurd. And you got to watch what you say because the universe is listening. So she says, let's just make it a weekend getaway, a romantic weekend for two. I fell in love with that little town of Point Pleasant on the Ohio River. The Ohio River juices my soul. And uh, we went to the little gift shops and the little tchotchke places and had a little food at this charming stuck-in-time place called the Mothman Diner. That looked like it was right out of the 50s and 60s from the hairdos to the to everything to the menu and uh we went into this little shop after going to the mothman museum and they gave us a map of something called the tnt area so it's 125 i think concrete igloos that were used to store tnt in the town during world war ii was the ordnance works and you had to keep it in a cool place in the dark, of course, it was TNT, and they would put grass over these because, uh, God forbid, there was an invasion. You wouldn't want them to bomb this area because there's tons of TNT, right? So they're very cool artifacts from a bygone time. Not paranormal, except that there's this great lore of this Mothman that was seen in 66, and then the Silver Bridge collapsed in 67, which was a tragedy that had nothing to do with the presence of the Mothman. It was faulty engineering. Um, and some of my colleagues do not say that clearly enough, um, but I think it's important. 
and uh, all my Mothman work uh, has revolved around that point. And uh, anyway, we go out to the TNT area. It's an absolutely beautiful day. Uh, looks like a picture puzzle with clear blue sky, and but there's no sound. There's no animals in like this wildlife preserve. It became a super fun site, and now it's uh, uh, a sanctuary. And it was weird. And we felt like we were being watched. Now, I grew up at the Jersey Shore, right? So I used to ride my bike through the Pine Barrens, Jersey Devil and all that. I was never scared about nature. We used to go camping and fishing in really remote places. I felt like we were going to die. So we managed to make it to the first igloo. Can't even go inside. Just hold the camera and, you know, click a picture. We go to the second igloo and we had met this guy uh, Bob, who was like the love child of Elvis and Johnny Cash, one of the coolest people. I dedicated one of my Mothman plays to him. And Bob had said that there were native spirits down there. So we put some sage. We called on her spiritual training. And I said to Tanya, let's get the hell out of here. And so it took about 20 minutes to get down there. We stayed for all of 10 minutes. I mean, I later came to know that this is what John Keel called the zone of fear. And as a field investigator, when you're in the zone of fear, get out because nothing good is going to happen. If there's something there that does not want you there, go away and come back a better day. Come back with better tools. Anyway, we didn't know any of this. Okay, we get in the car and we're going back to town. Now, it's about a half an hour, uh, you know, plus the extra, say, 20 minutes. So it should have been like 50 minutes at some time around two in the afternoon, a little before and Tanya and I turn to each other in our car and we say, did you see that? We saw this entity come into existence at the end of a cornfield, leap over the road in front of us about 10 feet high, probably about 35, 40 feet away and disappear into another cornfield. And we didn't know what to make of it. So we went back to Bob and we said, look, we had this really weird experience. We don't even know how to talk about it. He goes, look. Here's a card of these investigators, like call them. They'd be interested. Like, okay, great. Tanya and I go and have dinner. And I said to her, let's each draw what we saw. And the pictures are almost identical. And Tanya and I see everything very differently, like how we frame things. These these sketches, which are in our first book, Watch Out for the Hallway, um, are identical. They're identical. So this was August. November, we're leaving a Walmart. We get a phone call from these investigators. Long story short, Rosemary is one of them. She didn't make the phone call, but her colleague did. So these five paranormal investigators meet us in Point Pleasant in November, and we retravel the route, and we walk it, and we show them as very strange things happen. Uh, it took much longer to get back than it actually takes. I saw a gas station that does not exist nor has it ever existed. Yet I described it in clarity. Um, and then the weirdest thing was when we had gotten back to town, I forgot to tell you this, the shop, Bob's shop was closed and we had lost over two hours of time. It's like, what the hell is the shop closed? It's like it's three o'clock in the afternoon. And he, we knocked, he saw us, he opened the door and it was after five o'clock. So that's when we met Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and she said, this is obviously a portal area, and Carl uh, Petri, I think we started to talk about Carl on air. In one of his books, he made a visit to Point Pleasant, 
uh, and said it's definitely a portal. It's definitely two dimensions butting up against each other. So I tried to make that as quick as possible. Um, Ten years later, we found out that there was an alien abduction element that we could talk about or not. But that changed everything, Suzanne. It changed everything Mm. because at that moment, I said to Tanya, if they're studying us, I have to study them. I can't, Ah. I can't have this ambiguity in my life. So it was not an avocation. It was not a vocation. It was not a calling. It was a not desperate, but a deep desire to know what happened to. Uh, remember, I told you when I get a like a procedure, I got to stay awake because I want to know what happened to me. So this is that same thing. I went through a procedure, so on and so forth. Uh, mine was psychological. Tanya's was a little physical. Um, Yeah. And that was 14 years ago. And we're a little closer to understanding. But yeah, there's still a lot of mystery. You know, Very when, good. Thank you. When it kind of, Thank you for that question, too. Today. You, yeah. you just. Uh, Wow. Helped us explore more. I'm curious about and when I when my imagination wanders, as it often does, <laughs> I wonder if alien civilizations, should they exist? And I don't want to prejudice the question, but should they be either visiting us, be among us, however we look at it? How do they feel about our curiosity or even our compulsion, depending on who's doing the wondering and the investigating do they really care whether we're interested in them because if if a quarter of the stuff that i've read is true they're sure interested in us for purposes that remain still hard to define people have their theories of course but i've often said i wonder if they're interested in me do they know that we talk about ufos on a radio show here on planet earth well I don't know, but I just get the feeling that they're not interested in me personally. I don't think I'd be of much use to them, but they're okay, I tell myself. They're okay with my being curious about them. It's all right to be curious. I mean, if they came to earth, you know, that's a long distance to come here and find out about us. So it must be okay for us to at least entertain questions about their possible existence and any agendas they may have. That's a really, wow. Uh, So I'll try to unpack that, I guess, as best I can. So I do believe we are being visited. This is a really interesting time where members of Congress are talking in terms of interdimensionality. Um, Rosemary was a believer in the interdimensional aspect, even as far as it went with Bigfoot and all. Of course, John Keel was. He called it ultra terrestrial. Um, so these parallel dimensions. And, but I, but I also think it's not, we, we always get into this othering, this either or thing, which is infuriating. The dyad. I'm trying to work in the sense of a triad. If you take them both together, can Bigfoot be flesh and blood and also be interdimensional? Yes. Can UFOs be nuts and bolts, but also have this light trans-dimensional quality? Absolutely they can, right? Uh, They start that way. They shift in order to do what they have to do, and they rematerialize. We saw it in Star Trek in a way. So so this this dyadic fascination that people have, I think, is a disservice. So I can tell you in our experience, when I underwent the hypnotic regression 10 years after the fact, um... They did not want to tell me what was going on. 
their job was to convince me to just relax and go with it. And if I had a dime in my life for every time somebody said, Joey, just relax and enjoy the experience. Don't intellectualize it. That's exactly what was going on. The garage, Gary, was because when I was a kid, I wanted desperately to be a, an auto mechanic. And my my guidance counselors talked me out of it because I scored well on the tests. And they said, this is not for you. And I don't have regrets. My life is what it is. Uh, but I often think that I would have been very happy and maybe in another, you know, universe, another part of the multiverse. I am an auto mechanic and a very good one uh, and very satisfied in that of my life because car cars have stories. But anyway, um, so they did not want to give me a lot of information. Now, I've talked to a lot of experiers, contactees, abductees, read a lot of transcripts um, and and some will talk to you more than others. But the big thorny problem, right, is abduction is being done against your will and all these experimentations that happen on people, right? Uh, Betty with the big needle, Benny Hill and uh, Be Betty Hill and all of this, uh, phantom pregnancies, hybridization, all of this. So how do we feel? Like, do we say like Stephen Greer and we go, oh, they're all very, very good? No, we cannot say that. That is a is a is a disservice to people who have been traumatized. But think about your pets and almost everybody has pets and they take their pets to be fixed, to be spayed, to be neutered. We do this to our pets for us, but we also do it because we love them. It's part of the process. Do our pets understand it? <laughs> My son's dog, it happened 18 months ago. My daughter's dog, six months ago. They don't want to go back to that vet. They have this memory and they dig in their claws when it's time to go back to the vet because a doctor, Island of Dr. Moreau kind of thing happened to them, right? So I'm not saying that we're, it's just beyond our comprehension and they're all benevolent, but I think too, they see us sort of like ants in an ant colony because they're so far, they're so far beyond us. And do you ever stop and explain yourself to an ant? No, you don't. And if they interfere with your picnic, you kill them. So they're not doing that to us, which is excellent. They're leaving us be. Um, but no, in my experience and most of the people I've talked to, it generates way more answers, uh, no questions than it does answers. Because uh, there's just this gap that we can't seem to comprehend to close the gap. I agree with you. We haven't been able to close the gap. And without being sad about it, I've come to the tentative conclusion that I'll spend the rest of my life speculating about that, among other things. And I probably will never know. Maybe when we die and we cross over, we have a much wider and deeper perspective. That would be a good thing. But I don't think I'm going to live to see the day where the president of the United States, and it won't be official until it's said by the president of the United States, folks, <laughs> that yes, there are alien civilizations. Yes, they have come here countless times, uh, not one, but several or many civilizations. And quite frankly, against them, our defenses leave us defenseless. Yeah. Now, until the president says that, we are going to be speculating because 
whatever the the uh, monolithic or multifaceted structure is, we are not allowed to know more than a certain amount. Tantalizing, but not determinative. Right. And I think the big reason for that, Gary, and I am not alone in this, there's Paul Blake Smith and Michael Solon. Oh, the names go on and on. I do believe that uh, Eisenhower, uh, believing that it was the best thing for the country, signed a treaty with some of these species in the mid-1950s. I don't think that that's BS. I do think that some presidents in their own way have told us. Um, I think when Reagan said to the UN um, in the 1980s, imagine if suddenly we knew we weren't alone, how all of our problems on Earth would go away. And he was talking about the Cold War. Um, I think the ramifications of the deals that were made is why we can't be told the truth. It's one thing if they existed and they hit it. But I think that deals were made involving high tech for access, for abduction and hybridization, for other deals. Um, and how do you explain that? How do you explain that to people? Um, it is that uh, Bernie Sanders just recently said that in a poll, 85% of Americans distrust Congress and distrust the president. What would that do if they said, oh, yeah, for the past 70 years, we've made you all feel insane from police officers to airline pilots to military pilots to your average citizen. We have made you feel crazy. We have tried to ruin your lives. Bob Lazar, we tried to erase you from the record. <laughs> we tried to obliterate the fact that you existed as a human being, uh, the job you did, where you went to college. So I, to me, that is the big gap between disclosure. It's not what Rand said. It's not what Robert Bigelow said, that people can't handle it, that all of our religious, why should all of our religious systems change? There are many, many names for God and this would maybe just be another name for God. You know what I mean? I've never, I think it's political. How, how do you look somebody in the eye and say, we, we sold you out as a species for, you know, for national security? But anyway. <laughs> and then there is the foreign policy question, the de geopolitical, and we're down to about 30 seconds here. But wow. who has what technology and what might they intend to do with it? That's going to be a very thorny question to unpack and is probably being addressed at very high levels as we speak. Yeah. But as we yeah. speak, we have to say goodbye to Joey Medea. It's Bye, been guys. a great time. We knew metaphysical Q&A would work beautifully with you and our we'll prediction, Suzanne and I were right about that. Joey, we hope you had a good time. I'm sure that our listeners did. Thank you. I did. Thank you both. So grateful for you. All right. We'll be back next week, everybody. We'll Until do it again. Then, have yourselves a great week ahead. Here's what's coming up next week on Manson Mitchell. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome Alicia Michelle, astrologer, who looks ahead into 2024 for how we may be affected by upcoming planetary positions. On Saturday, Nicole Strickland and Karen Anderson talk about the eternal bonds between humans and pets. They are with us for a while, yet remain with us forever. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150.